The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films the world is wrong about for the Paperhouse Network. Hey, this is Abby Weems from Potty Mouth, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball Gives a Shake. Here in the studio, tempted fate, wherever you are, good questions to the songs which we will randomly select you with the help of our friends. Synchronicity, oh oh, really focus us a shade. It's a radio. Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations, just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, I asked... If I'm not cool and cynical like Han Solo, and I'm hostile toward and suspicious of the popular niceness of Ron Howard, who in many ways is a Luke Skywalker type... Who do I even relate to in the Star Wars universe anymore? And received as my randomly chosen answer, Prince Charming, performed by Jim's Big Ego as part of the Ego and the Oracle show at Capitol Hill Art Center in Seattle, Washington on April 7th, 2007. Think you better cut all that hair off and throw it out the window Climb down from that tower Flip the wicked witch the finger Ain't no use to wait for him to get you He's out chasing his own demons Not like you can really blame him You got demons of your own I need to be the one to tell you Cause they don't seem so romantic But that's the way it really goes And now you know that answer was a really potent one for me. One of those multi-level readings where the context, the timing, the music and the words, and the archetypal resonance of the artist made taking it to heart non-negotiable. It's true, it's real, and it is me. That experience with Jim and all it wrought was a sad ending, but it was also the beginning, and it has been no fairy tale. Although I have tried with all my artistic might to make it one with games like this. As I've been thinking about it, maybe for me, the emphasis needn't be on the prince part so much as the charming part. There are those who would say I have gone out of my way to be a prince uncharming. 
My inspiration for this comes from comedians like Woody Allen and Albert Brooks and Larry David and family members like my mother and her father, my grandfather, impatient, smart people who have found a way or not to make it funny. I have it on good authority from my professionally funny friends that I am not funny, but there are such insecure people I can never tell if they say this because it's so, or because they feel threatened by, if not my humor, my wit? That's a question for another day, but the fact that this is where my brain goes is a pretty good demonstration of my inherent lack of natural charm. Which is why Jim's song pointing me in that direction is such a good challenge. I mean, I may never be charming, but I can definitely try and add some charm to the mix, and that's what I've been trying to do. With this in mind, let's turn our attention to the randomly chosen Pop Oracle Song of the Day for December 2nd, 2020, 12 to 2020 the day I am writing and recording this. It's Joe Bourdet with his song Mantra, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California on February 25th, 2019.
I should explain that I decided to keep my guilt fast from last week going. I'm alone in my place, there was no Thanksgiving dinner, and I just decided it felt better to shut things down on the digestive side for a little longer. And a little longer. And a little longer. I eventually began slowly breaking my fast on Sunday night. But I'm still kind of in that sacred feeling fasty floaty place so this song is perfect unpacking it is going to be fun first of all joe borday he's just one of those people who i felt an immediate kinship with maybe he has this with everyone but there were just so many cool references that we shared and also so many new and interesting things to learn from him about artists i don't really know that well I really recommend checking out his entire eight-part episode. I'll leave a link in the show notes. He's definitely a Prince Charming type. Emphasis on the charming. So, I guess I could take that as a kind of encouraging reflection. The whole concept of a mantra is one I want to get to, but even before the meaning, there is the mere aesthetic of the word. I've spent my entire adult life trying to help people pronounce my name correctly, and the twin ah vowel tones in mantra are the same as the twin tones in my name, Andras. And yet, just as my good friend Andy Dick insists on calling me Andras, some people still say mantra. In fact, I have, in the past, just like I used to say Princess Leah as opposed to Leia, as in Leia Organa, or is it Organa? I'm just saying that even before hearing the song, thinking about Joe Bourdais and the word mantra has my ears perking up. Just as my body was hungry for a fast, my spirit is ready for, well, let's see. I consider one of my strengths to be my natural inclination toward repetition. Daily rituals, yearly rituals, and weekly rituals like this one. Regular effort, over time, they can lead to some amazing results. The database of songs recorded on Radio 8 Ball, each attached to a particular question asked by a particular person at a particular time and place in public, for all to hear, is an amazing document in its depth. Almost 2,000 songs, all that many experiences. It blows me away to have been there for every single one of them. Especially since my experience has often been one of not being able to do as much as I've wanted to with this show. Of course, I'm bragging here, but my point is that I have a huge appreciation for the power of ritual and repetition. So the concept of a mantra in Joe's song really hits home. I and many of my songwriter guests over the years have discussed the idea of songs being like prayers. And I kind of think of a mantra as a prayer with the content removed. These are definitely my favorite kind of prayers, prayers of emptiness, which is pretty much the opposite of the kind of songs I write and most of the songs I listen to. Most of my songs are complaints. Some celebrations, but mostly complaints. I have no doubt the repetition of these prayers, mantras, has at least 
if not more impact on my lack of charm as the negative self-talk uh, mantra is if not designed to then at least perfectly suited to contradict and silence. This brings me to the synchronicity of this song in my life on this day. So um, one of the cool things about fasting is it also means no drinking, which means more work getting done. And I found myself in the happy position of going into the week feeling light and inspired and unencumbered. So I started working on a new song I've been recording. I mentioned it on a previous show. It's called Magnet for Trouble, and I was well into it when the smoke from this summer's wildfires socked me in, and for some reason I wasn't able to get my musical mojo back for months. My fast seems to have shifted this somewhat, and I spent the last couple of days singing backup vocals and adding a droning mantra-esque organ part to what is otherwise a kind of simmering rave-up. Thing is, I was feeling pretty great yesterday afternoon as I surveyed my work, and then I got an email. This was from one of the many artists who has been on Radio 8 Ball over the years, and no way am I going to divulge who they are, but I will say that they are one of my favorites. Someone I have known personally since an audience member came up to me at one of my shows and told me there was this brilliant kid they knew and I should check him out. This was when I was booking and promoting lots of shows all over the country. Just so you don't try and figure out who it is, because you won't be able to. I guess unless you are that person. Anyway, since then, this person and I have played music together, we've argued about music together, and we've gone to see music together. We've just generally seen each other on the circuit and about town. Is it fair to say that I love this person? I think it is. Yeah. I do. A little extra special way, too. Like, uh... I don't know. Like a younger sibling, I guess. Anyway, that's where their email was so confusing, if not unfamiliar to me in its out-of-the-blue hostility toward me and toward this show. Just coming out of this session for Magnet for Trouble, it felt like a reflection of my song on the page, in the flesh-ish. The details of the email are not the point here. What is the point is how quickly it took me from the height of inspiration to the depth of desperation. And yet, if songs are prayers, then... This was like an immediate answer to my prayer, since here I was again attracting trouble like a magnet for it, as in the song. Luckily, the combination of the low mantra-esque drone I'd been focusing on in my session and my Prince Charming reading from last week and, of course, the empty vessel headspace of my slow re-entry from my fast, all of these put me in a space to, I hope, add just a little bit of charm and maybe remove some of the content from my response. I'm not sure if that's how it was received. Only time will tell. But just to bring it back to Joe's song, which is clearly a celebration of his own meditation practice, I happen to know that this artist who sent me the email is someone who takes their own meditation very seriously. So, I hope that's a good omen for our future communications at some date in some clearing in the thicket of our minds and emotions. Whew! <clears throat> that is a lot of talk for a song about silently meditating on one secret word. Let's get to my question. As I've been telling you these last few weeks, I'm trying to incorporate themes and ideas we're covering on the World is Wrong podcast, where we celebrate films the world is wrong about, into my questions on Radio 8 Ball. Last week, my question about relating to Star Wars characters was inspired by our episode about Solo, a Star Wars story. 
This week is one of the more out there episodes we've done to date. Instead of focusing on a film, we're focusing on a cinematic artist, in this case, John Bryan, using his work on Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love as a jumping off point to an episode that went so long we had to break it into two episodes, totaling close to six hours. You can check out the first of these when it drops the Tuesday after this episode. Leaning into Joe Borday's mantra and John Bryan's music for film, it makes me think about the ritualistic nature of cinema. If a song is a spell, then a film is, or can be, an immersive ritual. This is true for the viewer as well as for the participants. I've spoken in the past about my shamanic theory of acting on film, but I'm not sure if I have on this show. If I have, it was a long time ago. First, to be clear, I do not put this forward as anything I expect anyone else to follow. My career suggests it's not a recipe for success as any sane person might define it. That said, it's what I got. And it goes like this. Films are rituals captured and repeated. They never end. The quantum nature of time and consciousness suggests that this massively repeated ritual, even in the case of rather obscure films, exerts some possible influence on events before, as well as after, the events captured on film. If this is the case, if you are cast for a role, then that role is already in you, and exercising slash exorcising it for someone else, if not for the whole world, is your job. If this terrifies you, as it should, you're probably not an actor. If it sounds just great, well, then you might be. Either way, performing in these rituals in which you have very little control over the final product is an act of faith and one which is rarely rewarded in the ways one imagines. For example, I played the lead role in a film called The Attic Expeditions that is currently getting a special 20th anniversary DVD release from Severn Films. I'll provide a link in the show notes. This was the last time I played a lead role in a film, and the last film I acted in in Hollywood in any serious way. It's a film that I was really inspired about while making it, a chance to fully engage my shamanic theory of film acting with actors like Jeffrey Combs, who was one of the people who inspired me to pursue film acting in the first place, and Seth Green, an actor and producer and friend who has inspired me since the day we met on the set of the Attic Expeditions. I lived in the house where we shot the film and I spent the evenings we weren't shooting doing ritual, smoking pot, uh, having some intimate interactions of different kinds and on one auspicious evening taking mushrooms with the film's writer Rogan Russell Marshall. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the film ends with me trapped inside of my own brain, depicted on film as a box in an attic. And as anyone listening with any regularity to this podcast knows, I am recording from an attic, and I've been alone here since March, which has definitely twisted the knife of the Attic Expedition's cinematic metaphor over these last several months. When the film came out in 2001, my name was buried in the credits, which was odd since I am practically in every scene of the movie, and it's about my character. Since then, I've wondered if... I, and the film, maybe did some bad magic to me. There have been copious synchronicities in my life to suggest so. 
The new DVD from Severin corrects the credits and fairly lists the film's lead at the top of the bill. This coupled with a few very menschy calls with director Jeremy Caston that have run the gamut from challenging to heartwarming. Well, it's had me feeling like maybe this all portends some kind of release from the most challenging aspects of the ritual of the film. Is it possible to transform that case in the attic into a cocoon from which I might emerge? That probably should be my question. And if I were playing host to your question, I'd keep in mind that it probably is. And yet, there is an odd synchronicity between all of this and John Bryan. When I was making the Attic Expeditions in L.A. in 1999, I was also attending John Bryan's regular Friday night shows at Largo on Fairfax. I go into some depth about these shows on the World is Wrong podcast about John Bryan, but in the context of everything we've discussed so far in this podcast, when you have a Friday night ritual on the street most associated with Jewishness in one of the cities in America most associated with Jewishness, it's hard not to see these musical rituals as a kind of Sabbath, if not black, then certainly unorthodox. But still, I am a Jew, and the sabbatical nature of these accidental initiations I attended at Largo, at least in retrospect, seems like pertinent information. At one of these shows, when things were getting particularly psychologically challenging for me, on the set of the Attic Expeditions, and I was getting the first inklings that maybe I was playing with forces beyond my understanding. I had an experience that still haunts me. When I explain it, I'm sure it will sound benign, but there's something else there, at least for me. So, I was at a John Bryan show, and I saw these three women together. Now Largo is a small room. It's not a big stadium. It's not even a theater. It's a supper club. I saw these three women walk in together. All three were friends of mine. All three were former lovers of mine. No drama there, certainly not much just a lot of time and intimacy and being young. When I saw them together, though, that night, they appeared to me as three witches. I use this word in all its power and none of its condemnation. Were I to have this experience now, I might say they looked like priestesses, but at the time, the word and the feeling that came to me was witches. I was a little spooked and I didn't know why. And we didn't speak that night. Just enjoyed the show from our separate corners of the room. But the next day, I reached out to one of them to say I saw them there and she said she wasn't at the show. Ever since then, I've questioned my experience, and my own eyes, and definitely my memory, but I can't shake the feeling that I had some kind of vision. And it still scares me. And this brings me to my question for the Pop Oracle. Okay, I'm now opening the app. Ah, so the app is open, and my question is entered, and the question is... Did I see three witches at the John Bryan show in 99 during Attic Expeditions? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit scared. Uh, okay, I'm going to shake, give it a shake and we'll see what we get. (laughs) 
And the answer is from Abby Weems, and it's a song called Creeper Weed. <laughs> Creeper Weed! Creeper Weed! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so many chords. Okay, here we go. from Abby Weems, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, on February 13th, 2018. Uh, yeah, I think I saw three witches. That's what I think. Uh, so this is just my initial reaction. As I'm figuring out this format, I'm realizing I'm going to take a little, take a couple of days to think about this. This is a new luxury. that will give you my initial response, and then I'll give you my more thoughtful response once I've had a time to go for a couple of bike rides with this reading. But uh, initially, damn. Okay, well, I am, I am, I am. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. That's four I ams. An, an, uh, an emphatic declaration of being from Abby Weems of the band Potty Mouth, who are from 
Western Massachusetts, not exactly the specific region of America's most famous witch burnings, but uh, a trio of, I don't know, indie rockers, three young women out of Massachusetts going under the name Potty Mouth. Uh, You could say that they're, I don't know if they would take offense at being called three witches, but uh, at least in the metaphor of this song, it's certainly a trio of people from a state known for burning witches, which has made the witches I know from Massachusetts into some of the most, um, if not powerful, and certainly some of the most informed, let's say, at least about that part of the history that strikes close to home. Uh, My initial reaction laughing was about creeper weed, that it was just about being paranoid. But marijuana also has a witchy feminine quality. Maybe not but. And marijuana also has a witchy feminine quality. So it might be less of... uh, Less of sort of like saying, oh, dude, you're stoned. You thought you saw something you didn't see, which is sort of what my negative self-talk is, or maybe positive self-talk, depending upon what it all means. But the song is suggesting, is saying, I am, I am, I am, I am. It seems very, uh, very much like that. So it could also be that by engaging that crystalline shakti energy uh that's in keeping it's very in keeping with saying yes yes when you open up these doors of perception whether it's through ritual or through medicine that you're gonna see stuff and uh what what you think might be a vision or an illusion well it might be it might be and it might be something else. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that this episode, the episode of Radio 8 Ball that featured Abby Weems was the first show back for Radio 8 Ball after things had to shut down while Starburns Audio became Starburns Audio because before that it was Feral Audio, which was all the same people in the same place, but in a situation that I don't want to really want to go into too much. Abby had a relationship with the guy who ran Feral Audio. And in stuff that came out publicly, there were definitely boundaries that he crossed, and it led to him stepping down and Feral Audio ending and everyone on the network wondering what was going to go on. And then when we finally came back, I thought, it would be good to have Abby on the show, on our first show back, as saying, like, hey, this is, you know, come and claim the space. And, you know, there's another piece here that's coming up for me that is just, it's, it's undeniable. And, okay, so... In the film, The Attic Expeditions, the part that was was so psychologically challenging for me about my role is that there are several scenes in which my character is the purveyor of intense sexual violence towards women. And the women were, you know, consenting actors, super invested in the project, totally empowered, got no sense that they were in any danger at all. And yet, playing a role in which you rape someone, if you are taking on the shamanic aspects of the work, uh, then you did. Hmm.
Yeah, and considering that while I was in that house, there was sex, and there was drugs, and there... Yeah. It's a frightening soup to go back to, I guess. So, yeah, I did see Three Witches, and... Since then, I have felt an even greater fondness for, an affinity for, and alliance with those witches as they show up in my life, like, like Abby Weems. And, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I'll be back in a couple of days to tell you what I think about this. Well, that reading really knocked me for a loop and may have raised some troubling and misleading concerns for some listeners about the Attic Expedition set, as well as about my own inflated reputation as a fuckboy. Allow me to clarify. First of all, when I talk about sex and drugs on the Attic Expedition set, I'm talking about pot beer, and on one occasion, a mushroom trip with the screenwriter. Not exactly Animal House or The Wolf of Wall Street. As for the sex, I'm primarily thinking about two consensual encounters with people who it would be gauche to name, but who I hope remember the interactions as fondly as I do. It all felt pretty decadent to me, but I don't want to give you the wrong idea. So that's what really happened, or didn't happen, on the set of the Attic Expeditions. But what this reading brings up for me is the effect of the things we only pretended were happening for the sake of our psychological horror film. Even though nothing particularly dangerous actually happened while filming, considering my shamanic theory of film acting as the one tasked with carrying out these cinematic assaults, the pretend sexual violence carried out in the course of filming obviously had an effect on me. This reading makes me think this is an area where some healing, or at least reevaluation, is probably in order. As I've been digesting the reading, I've been thinking about how many times in my limited career as a film actor I have been hired to rape my co-star. Aside from Shannon Hart Cleary in The Attic Expeditions, there is also Drew Barrymore in Far From Home. And if you add in murder with sexual overtones, there's Maria Bill in Averill's Arrival, Beth Bates in The Attic Expeditions, and scenes of domestic violence with Miranda Viscoli in Hurricane Festival. I can't tell if that seems like a lot or not. It certainly would be in real life. By comparison, I've only killed two men on film, David Warner in Tripwire and Derek Mears in Hurricane Festival. All of these violent acts live in my nervous system, but only the violence against women continues to traumatize me in ways I wasn't really aware of until I started to unpack this. And bringing it back to Abby's song, I've been thinking about how one of the themes is of the singer being or feeling misunderstood and projected upon. And this is definitely what I am doing with my story of seeing three witches at that John Bryan show in 99. Neither the actual three women I saw nor the three women I thought I saw have any agency in my story and my experience is not grounded in their realities in any way. Now, there's nothing nefarious about this. It's what we do all the time. We see a couple holding hands in a cafe and we assume it's love. But it might be a breakup, or an apology, or a manipulation. We're meaning-making machines for good and for ill. And I don't think anyone was particularly harmed in the course of my story. And yet, I am left wondering if maybe I asked the wrong question. Perhaps I should have asked what seeing the three witches meant, or who they actually were, or what I should do about it. 
If we think of creeper weed as the answer to the question I almost asked about transforming the box containing my brain in the attic of the attic expeditions into a cocoon from which I might emerge, creeper suggests that it's a slow process. Well, the weed part makes me think of the effects of a lifelong relationship with the crystalline spirit of the hemp plant, which may have created its own box in my brain. And, if the question is a response from the box instead of from the three witches, it could be said that I'm just totally misunderstanding who and what the box actually is. Doing these solo definitely has its benefits, but what I'm really missing, and maybe you are too, are differing perspectives and projections on these readings. I'd love to know how this reading landed for you. I haven't had much luck inviting audience participation in the past, but I'm going to try again. If you have any insights to share, please send them to me through the contact form at www.radio8ball.com or you can tweet them to me at Radio8Ball or direct message me at the Radio8Ball show on Instagram. And please let me know if you're okay with my reading your communications on the show. In the meantime, thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Happening. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball and The World is Wrong podcasts in your podcast app. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store and check out our merchandise at the link on our website. And finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign. The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with a song called Yeah, 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 I'll Call Ya that I wrote for my friend Andy Schmushkin. The track is produced by Willie Wisely and features Andy Dick. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. This is my mantra, this is my prayer I'm gonna walk on by you like you ain't even there You do the numbers, baby, you do the math But I got my eyes fixed forward and my feet on the path I've been snubbed by bigger stars than you And what we usually do, we just say, yeah, 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 I'll call Know that I can't call you So which one of my buddies are you? The ones I don't call or the ones I do Not while I'm working, honey, not on the job I'm not your ordinary nine to five Punch the clock slob This is my day by bigger stars than that And as a matter of fact you know that Yeah, 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 I'll call you It's a song and a will You know we can't call you Which one of my friends are you? The ones I don't call or the ones I do Me feel less alone. No, I like to 
been snubbed by bigger stars than me It's pretty easy to see that Yeah, 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 I'll call you Ain't no stranger to you You know we can't call you Which one of my friends do you think you are? Yeah, 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 I'll call you. Well, I'm waiting, bitch. It's the Radio Wave Show.